I'm quoting directly from Lillian Turamia, the former France international. He gave a response to the racial abuse that Romelu Lukaku received in Italy and the subsequent punishment apparently the club received. Turam stated, There is an incredible hypocrisy and a lack of desire to resolve the problem. Doing nothing is the equivalent of saying you agree with those who make racist chants. We must realise that the world of football is not racist, but rather that there is racism in Italian culture, French culture, European culture and more generally in white culture. We must have the courage to say that white people think they are superior and believe that they are. It is up to them to find a solution to their problem. Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel and Tiso. This season's broad theme is... Reconfiguring whiteness. Surviving Society. Welcome back for season seven. Hello everyone. We are really excited to be joined by Norman Riley. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because you're one of my old friends, but you're also a writer and podcaster for True Faith podcast and zine, which is Newcastle United's, what, what would you call it? So it's like a collective, isn't it? Oh, we're, we're an independent fan. We're an independent fanzine organisation. Yeah. So it's just a, a group of us uh, who write articles, do yeah. podcasts and yeah. videos uh, predominantly, you know, just fan-related stuff, obviously, with, with politics, music, yeah. etc. thrown in. Um, you know, the, the fanzine isn't just about, you know, how well did Newcastle play in the last game and why are we so terrible at the minute? Because uh, we can try and... We're, it's a platform of, if you have an opinion and you're a Newcastle fan, regardless of that opinion, you come to us if you want to um, be considered for, for, for publication, we'll do that. It's like a little, like, cooperative sort of thing, like, it, community it, sort it of is, thing. It is, like, it is. Because did it start in the 80s, it did you say? In, it started in the late, uh, late 90s. Um, oh, okay. And uh, it was kind of an explosion of, of fanzines, really, in the sort of mid to late, late, uh, late 90s. And um, the lad who set it up is, is still involved in it, not so much he's kind of withdrawn. That's uh, another story, but... Um, the fans in itself, it just kind of went from strength to strength. Obviously, with the rise of social media, paper copies don't sell as many, mm. but you always have a hardcore people who prefer books, you always have a hardcore yeah. people who prefer magazines. So at the moment, we, for a couple of years, we just we went digital, purely digital, but we brought back the paper-based fans in um, start of last season, I think, and, it, and it's it, it, it does all, it does all right, but um, it's. It's more a labour of love than anything else. Of course, no, definitely. And we met for people that, or our listeners that know a lot of the courses or the sort of sociological slash post-colonial courses throughout the UK, me and Norman met at Birkbeck mm-hmm. whilst doing the Culture, Ethnicity and Diaspora MA. Yeah. The one that's organised by the legendary Yasmin Narayan. And you got in touch with me and uh-huh. I was so pleased <laughs> to hear from you because, Twitter. yeah, it's Twitter. Like, amazing. Like, Twitter can be pretty you problematic. You popped up on a Twitter feed. Um, I did a, a dissertation. I did it... Uh, university because I dropped out of Birkbeck as yeah. you know but I went back a few years later and I did a dissertation on um, Thatcherite social housing policy and Danny Dolan was I've relied on him heavily <clears throat> and um, I followed him on Twitter and you only just popped it on ah nah who Oh, no, it was such a blast in the past when you reached out as well because that was, I mean, that was such a difficult time in my personal life because it was just so, like, I was just stressed, like, working full-time and is expensive, but equally it was, like, one of the most sort of, like, I just opened my eyes, basically, doing that course because I'd done sociology, mm-hmm. like, with reading lists that were just ba- not at all looking at post-colonial literature and, obviously... Yasmin Ryan's reading list are oh, just incredible yeah. and just, yeah. Oh, I'll be forever indebted to her for um, introducing me to Paul Gilroy. Oh my, can you be like, like even... Even now, like, you know, yeah. even after, if you, I read after it again a few a few weeks ago and uh, 
it's still, regardless of the fact that it was written in the early noughties, yeah. every single thing that he says in there, it's, it, it, it's basically prophecy. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. No, definitely. I hadn't even, like, properly interrogated Fanon before. Anyway, sorry, we could just talk, talk for age about this. Norman is on the podcast to talk to us about the connections between football hooliganism, the far right, and probably Brexit a little bit, to be honest. 100%. Whiteness. So as everyone knows, like this is something that we've been talking about for the past two years. I think one of the things that's really good about having someone like Norman on the podcast is it helps us contextualise different sort of collectives of political mobilisation. I, I, I think it's important, like especially you and Norman's talking, you're speaking to someone at grassroots level. Grassroots, yeah, 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 right? exactly. So you're yeah. talking to the fable white working classes, which you have been kind of lionised in this kind of current climate. I think your work speaks kind of, rings true right at the moment, and it's important work at the moment to kind of decontextualise that kind of mess because it's not as straightforward as people make it out to be. I heard a really good thing when I interviewed Alison Phipps recently and she said we should, she tries to say, instead of saying white working class, working class and white because you know that yeah, like yeah, healthy yeah. like we talk about this a lot yeah, on yeah. the like yeah. that's so like loaded now I think it's be hard I think it'd be hard to do it but I'm no, gonna try I, and remind myself it to seems do it. Like a bit of thinking because obviously you can be black and working class exactly yeah, 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 we, yeah and this is the narrative that's kind of left out but yeah yeah gone. yeah definitely exactly. and there's yeah. a there is a um a kind of narrative that almost I think you you said it before it kind of makes a white work class to be this kind of heroic heroic yeah. group of people in many ways and obviously a whole collective can't be heroes there are some people who are really good and some people are just really bad yeah. and uh, we've I mean I don't know if you want me to go into this sorry yeah, yeah, no, 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 I suppose it, it just ties into you know the, the in the, the last few years I've seen like this kind of creeping return of of discriminatory behaviour in football that I, th- I thought had gone for good and mm. I suppose that's why mm. ultimately I started getting interested in what was what was going on around around Europe and th- and if you look at the countries where um, the far right are starting to make inroads in, in football, these are the countries where the far right are starting to make inroads in politics it's, it, it goes hand in hand, we, we mm. haven't seen it at the moment anyways. I think it's, is it John Solomus that talks about you can use football as a way to measure how society is dealing with race a given period. I think it is. I think it might be. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, God, I didn't think about it like that. I said, look at the football team, then look at the politicians. Yeah. yeah. My issue is, is that these guys have never gone away. They've never gone away. So when, yeah. when you, when they were quiet, they were just planning. Do you think? So, no, it's not. I think definitely, yeah. man. They were planning. So combat eighteen. All these guys, they realised that that being obtuse and myopic on the field wasn't getting in their way from the late eighties and nineties. So from the mid-90s onwards, they went online. And they, they started reading books and came up with national action and started to get a bit smarter with things. Not so aggressive, because being aggressive... And you can see this kind of permutation and mutation through like the BNP. They tried different ways of trying to get to the electorate. They tried the third way, so they talked to other nationalist groups that didn't work, because the white people in there didn't want to mix. And so you see this is a constant thing. So it's not that it ever went away. It's just that it just... Well, I mean... <sighs> Maybe prior to you know, let's say prior prior to Brexit, maybe I, I didn't kind of pick up on and on these narratives that were being constructed, especially around young, young black athletes, young black footballers. Um, maybe maybe I did, maybe I didn't, or, or if I did, I didn't make that. You know, I didn't make any kind of connection with this. Um, as you say, this this almost a like hidden hidden kind of far right movement. But I suppose the people who were running newspapers 
Yeah, we're still the same people running newspapers five, six years ago. I think what obviously what we what we've seen is we, we and this is so clear that Brexit has just it's it's fueled people to just come out and espouse these opinions that they've probably you know held in for for years. Um, and I think that we're we're seeing it as I see in football. So the, the return of songs that I thought had, had gone. There's obviously yeah. st- some people there clearly think there's nothing wrong with those songs and clearly wanted to sing them they just didn't for, for whatever reason that may be and mm. like as Tiso says did it ever go away I, I, I can't answer that um, mm. but all, all I can say is that it, it feels more visible now than it did let's say and you're, five, a, six, you're a season ticket holder for well, Newcastle <laughs> I was until the season I've ah. been, been there as a boycott against Mike Ashley but that's another thing because yeah, oh he's Ash. a Victorian business owner that Mike Ashley is he's, he's, yeah. he's horrible but we'll, we could make, do a whole podcast <laughs> on, on Mike Ashley like a, a diatribe but yeah. I'm going to the away matches mm. I still go to the away matches because I feel like I'm not giving money directly to Mike Ashley okay. by doing that so <laughs> yeah I was at Leicester Norwich and Tottenham this season so far okay. but yeah um, as I say uh, just the what what started it all off, the interest was um, just last season, hearing the return of, of one particular song. I thought, I just thought, where's that coming And that uses, that uses racist language and homophobic language yeah. in particular, yeah. A couple of them, yeah. A yeah. couple of them, I mean, you, you know, so you had, um, there was a song that basically, you know, can I say this on here? It's a song against the IRA, let's say. Okay. Well, is it Fenians and, and uh, that kind of stuff? No, it's, it's, just, it's just like, fuck the IRA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. um, now, um, there's another song that has a, you know, it uses a word that is a homophobic slur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the absolute pinnacle for me last season was the, the song that was made up about Salomon Rondon, about centre forward. Um, I, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Like, you know, a song that references um, a part of a, a person's anatomy and it just tied into every single, like, Try. racial stereotyping trope that you, that you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, Pure fetishization, rearing its head again. What scares me, and again, like, again, if this is one of the reasons I, I never got into football as a young kid. So I grew up in the eighties, as you know. Like I'd see on TV they'd be throwing bananas oh, on the man. field, chucking two peas at a black player. I couldn't understand, and no one could explain to me why that was the case. And then, given that you have in sickness and health, you have uh, mm-hmm. uh, you have all these programs that are clearly you love thy neighbour, rising damp, clearly right, but mm-hmm. people were laughing. And I never understood why my why none of my family they will sit there, but no one laughs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't, and no one's willing to explain to me as a kid. And then during the 80s, we had a lot of skinheads come down to fight the Asians who just moved in in mm-hmm. the mid 80s, right? It made me think that I wouldn't be welcome in that place. Yeah, absolutely. And that bore out when I, when I got to my teens and I met some uh, Tottenham, Tottenham hooligans. And then as I got a bit older, I met when I moved to Scotland, I met some Scotland Scottish casuals, right? Mm-hmm. We all like the same clothes, right? We all like we like our clothes, we like our trains, but these groups are look are linked to like groups like Combat Eighteen. Serious, what is Combat Eighteen? It's a it's a, a far right terrorist group, really, yeah. effectively. Nazis. Yeah, I mean, Nazis, they use a lot of kind of um, you know SS symbolism, and, so, and, and they were big in the early nineties. So eighteen, A is for the one is for the A, and eight is for the H. I love Hitler. That's what it stands for. God. But it turns out, and then when I spoke to these guys, it just reconfirmed that that this place was never going to be a place for me. And that's why I never really got into football. No, I mean, to, I mean, I, I, look, put it this way: I was frightened for my life on the terraces in the eighties, and you know, I'm going in as a as a, as a white Geordie, mm. like to have been a, a black Geordie going into that into that environment. They exist. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're there. You, 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 like, you know, you, you've, that, you've not only are you are you scared because you you know you're surrounded by these kind of big 
burly men who like to drink, you know, you've also got like the added um, aspect of the fact that the colour of your skin is different. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a frightening place. And if you're going into you're going into stadiums and my first match in nineteen eighty six, basically what I think probably my second or third match, like monkey chance. Like just straight off. And back then this wasn't a case of like 20 people doing it. You're talking like hundreds, mm-hmm. thousands of people do, doing mm-hmm. this. But that's and, 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 but that's that's happening now. Oh, but that's, um, Again, that's, 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 that's the fear. That's, yeah. that's that the fear is, that this is coming back. That's, uh, that's what kind of puts me to get back into it because like, I can't explain to my like, a little kid now when I was doing some mentoring, like, he's 13, 14, he doesn't understand why these people call him a monkey. And well, just like you didn't understand. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, in yeah. 2019, we've had a lot of works being done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable by any measure to come like, you've had lessons about this, you've been told about this, there's been there's been whole campaigns about this, so you've been told. So now you're deliberately choosing a path of action that that is socially unacceptable now. Like the stuff with the IRA, it's, it's not even lack of, it's lack of understanding of their own history. This, these things are live, right? So the UVF and the IRA, these guys are still around and they want to go to war, man. What do you think it is, Norman, in your opinion, <clears throat> about football hooliganism that becomes so linked to racism and homophobia. Do you think it's to do with masculinity? Absolutely. I, I, I really don't want to just say it's just to do with class because I feel like it's just such an easy no. and flippant thing to say. Like there's so many other things, isn't there? And like that's what people that yeah, obviously uh, that are, are up for demonising the working class would say. And we know that middle class. There are middle class football hooligans like. So yeah, what, what 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 would you? I suppose football is still is still you know a working class sport. I, I hate to use the term, but you know that that's that's what it is. I would imagine that the, the majority of people who go would consider themselves working class. I mean, you know, there's a whole debate on what what constitutes working class now. Um, given that you know traditionally football fans come from backgrounds where you know that they, they would work in industry, they would work in industries, but that industry doesn't exist. So the working class. That we call working class now going to football matches is completely different the, the, the working class of 50 60 years ago in terms of what they actually do for do for a living um but but then if i think about like people like people within my peer group that are outside like my part my partner's friends and stuff mm. loads of them have got season tickets yeah. like arsenal season tickets whatever yeah. they are really expensive yeah no I, I, like, yeah, but the, work, the, the, the working class fan is being priced out that's okay that's yeah yeah thing. that's, that's a whole other, other thing, thing right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um i mean Look, look, look at me. Do, do I? Am I from a working class background? I, I'm from a council estate in Gated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like an unemployed mother, like mm-hmm. uh, both parents on the door when I was a kid. All that stuff. Now, am I, am I working class now? You know what I mean? Like I've, I've been in university. I've got a master's. I earn a, I earn a certain salary. Am I working class now? Am I going to that football match? And identifying as working class when I'm in that stadium, probably am. But yeah. really, am I working class? Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose yeah. it's yeah. Like, so yeah. yeah. probably yeah. like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's you know that. The hooligans in Germany, the hooligans in England, the hooligans in, in France, they so, might identify as working class, but ultimately a lot of them probably aren't in kind of socioeconomic terms actually what would be yeah. as working class. So what is it about Steve and John from from Kent or from Seven Oaks that are going to watch Arsenal that they think it's acceptable to do monkey chart? Well, like it's a, it's why a, does it's that a tribal thing, right? Uh, it's a, it's it's a, a tribal, tribal thing. thing. So right. you're coming together as a group of people. Yeah. And if you talk in political terms, I'm coming to defend my people. My thing, so I'm, I don't care about the football. No, but even your own players that you're supporting. Yeah, listen, I don't care. I'm defending my people, and so if you're if you're if your political ideology is the ultras from Lazio, my people is the Italian people, my people is Mussolini. Well, that's my people. Uh, but what about if yeah, John and Steve are doing monkey chants at their own black player? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter. Like, listen, you might see that film with the, what's that guy with the um, 
Oh yeah, the one. I um, it's the farm. Farming, yeah, farming, farm yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You can equally be a black, a black person in an all white, and they'll they'll beat the shit out of you. Yeah, 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 right? sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you're just not them. They might speak to you, but also fuck you up at the same yeah. time because you're not my people. And yeah. that tribalism is so powerful. And you link that to politics, and you and it's the idea that especially with the, with the working classes. That you are you are face, face, feeling the brunt of capitalism. But I'm but but T just to just come back to you on mm. that about the working class point. I'm talking about the, the people that I'm describing the, ima- the imagined people are not working class. Well, so I'm trying so, to move it away from. No, but, class. but even even the, even even the people that are got well paid. Yeah. If you look at the, eight, the hooliganism of the eighties, when manufacturing tried to cut down, it encompassed a whole group of people. Some people had really good jobs. Yuppies. Yuppies. Yuppies yeah. Yuppies are because, yeah. 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 because it's like a release, man. Yeah. And that tribal is yeah. the way to behave that I can't behave normally. Sorry, guys. I'm not being pedantic. I'm just trying to get us to like, like, just think, mm. think of different ways to describe but, this, but these why? sorts of collectives. Yeah, why? why? Yeah, yeah, why? Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think ultimately it's just you know some people just have a lot of hearing and ignorance in them, and, and, and to to actually. To break that down and look for the specifics of it, 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 it will be kind of almost like a Herculean task. Ultimately, some people who, you know, go to football matches, it's almost a, a case of they're just, they're just full of absolute hearing. And it does tie into the tribalist aspect of it because there's a tribal element of supporting a football club. We know that you go to a football match and you're singing against the opposition fans, you know, you're singing against the opposition team. There is it. It does to a certain extent. It it feels like a form of war, you yeah. know, like it didn't. It is a war, like you sit there, you, your colours, and you sit there, you're opposite each other. So even the whole kind of setup of the arena, you're one half, you're the other half, you don't even, you don't even cross. It's something that like tribal warfare. And it, it, there's something almost kind of animalistic about it, mm. the chants and the, the cries. When you, if you look at old battles and going to war in antiquity, it's all about the screams, the shouts, yeah. the drums. So like when you score a goal. When, mm-hmm. you, when, it, when your team scores a goal, you know, we, we, we have the same limbs. And it is basically just people going, I mean, just going absolutely crazy. And mm. that is... There is an incredible feeling of togetherness for it. Now, I suppose if you look at football hooligans who are, and I'll make this clear, a very, 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 very small you know, minority of, of, of football fans overall, they're a microcosm of the support for your team. They're a group within a group who have this, this identity. They have the same loves or hates, however, you know, that, and, and they just kind of veer towards each other. And I suppose once they're in that, once you're in that, like, in that group, you just feed off each other, you know. You, these people at Chemnitz in Germany, for example, the you know the, the these fans that are called there, there's the the Hunara, the the Hunara hooligans, Nazis, racists. That is that is what the word stands for. Now these people are are meeting up and they're just feeding off each other's hatred. And to to deconstruct all of that and to look at it and say, well, why why is this actually happening? I mean, again, that that is that is a study that that. Really needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, and of course, like people have. Yeah, there's there's so much like in sociology of sport about football hooliganism, but it does feel like it, we've got to get some more out there now. But what I think is important, Norman, is see some of the stuff that you talked about. How the mainstream play on this, right? So mm-hmm. in your in the piece that you sent us earlier, um, the kind of how the media kind of report Raheem Sterling stuff oh. against other white players who do exactly the same stuff. Most people would think, well, what are you talking about? They're treated the same. But it's when you look at the subtext, not even the subtext, just look at the text. Yeah. And it's so different. Like, I don't know, can you comment on that? or Absolutely. So you put it like this. The Daily Mail releases a story on Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling is a black player who plays for yeah. Man City. He also plays for England. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've covered how the press have spoken about him yeah. um, on quite a few episodes yeah. because it's been pretty shocking. Let's look at this, this yeah. player to us and by Man City, right? Um, 25 grand a week, 20 years old. 25 grand a week in the Premier League, that's, that is, you know, that's actually... Comparatively, not that much money. It's a ridiculous amount of money to us, but it, in the Premier League, it's it's you know, 
par for the course. He goes out and, and buys a house. He buys a house. That, that is literally what he's done, right? The headline itself, young Manchester City footballer 20 on 25 million, he splashes out on Manchin on market for 2.25 million despite having never started a Premier League match, right? So that's that. A white player, Phil Foden, Man City starter Phil Foden buys a new 2 million home for his mum, right? Straight away, somebody reading these headlines, you, they're going to see this athlete. They're going to read this headline, they're going to go to the stadium and straight away, mm. he's a bastard. And, and, and they're creating this narrative around like people like Adebayo, people like Raheem Sterling. It's like, well, basically, yeah, look at these look at these black athletes earning loads of money and spend it how they want. Isn't mm. it disgusting? That's what, the, that's what the message is. And then if, if people are reading that, you know, you've got four million people reading the Daily Mail, their opinions are being steered by this, this narrative being set about these young athletes, then they're going to go into that stadium with hate in them. I think what you said there is so interesting, Norman, and I don't want to go into too much of a rant about him, but I'm going to just mention it briefly. It This sort of reminds me a little bit of some of the bullshit that John Barnes has been saying recently. Mm. And like how, it's a whole other episode we'll have to talk about another time, but how people think if you talk about racism amongst the elite or middle classes, that it somehow distracts from other racisms. It doesn't, it's all part of the same picture. Like it's the deserving and undeserving just being played out in with obviously much more capital, but it's still relevant. Yeah. It's still like these are things that shape our narratives. These are the things that shape how we view black people. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, absolutely. Raheem, Raheem Sterling gets a, gets a tattoo, right? Nobody asks him what the tattoo's about. It's just printed in a paper. Yeah. And it's basically, look, he's got a tattoo with a gun on his leg because you know what? Because basically, he's young and black, and if he wasn't in football, he'd probably be, probably be in a gang. Oh, that's no. the, that's, that is the message. No, but, no, but he, and he is to blame. Yeah. He is to blame for street. Yeah. Gangs because Absolutely. he's got a tattoo. He's on it. Yeah, gangs. Exactly, it's not yeah. the actual story. If you just sit down yeah. and ask him why you got it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And it's a very sad story. Yeah. But yeah. I think you do a good job here in in the, in the fanzine, like trying to break down and deconstruct these kind of tropes, what, where they link to and where they come from. So most of these things are from slavery. And these perceptions that you're building that black people are somehow kind of inferior, stupid, stupid with money, stereotypes that have existed for a long time, mm -hmm. but they should be packaged in a different way. So it's about trying to get people to understand that these things are not true. Yeah. One of the kind of fault lines of, of whiteness versus blackness is that I don't exist as an individual. I exist as representing my whole race. Mm -hmm. So if I get a if I get a gun tattoo, the the majority of the site will see that as I represent violence, because that's yeah. what black people are known for. Yeah. Violence and the misnomer of black and black yeah. crime. And you should know better, T so as a sad note. You should know. Yeah. My friend said to me, black and black crime said, please don't say that to me. Who said that to you? I said, please don't please don't ever say that to me. But I said, it's, I said, yeah, I said, when was the last time you heard white? white <laughs> I said, I said, I said like, it just makes no sense. I said, even if you went to, I said, what, in Africa, what do they call crime? You can't call it black and black crime. <laughs> like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, these kind of tropes, but it's, like I said, at the moment, I'm more, I'm very interested in some of your work to kind of reconfigure whiteness. So there's a stream in here that obviously you're critiquing this kind of behaviour, you're critiquing and trying to understand this kind of line of thought and trying to change that mentality. And it's trying to draw that out and make that the dominant trend. Because at the moment, I think, What's always been missing from the debates is reflexivity on whiteness. Yeah. Most white people don't look to criticise themselves. They never had to. Mm -hmm. And so this is one they're quite, like, superficially, when you ask them, like, how would you feel if you was an all-black club? If I asked my mates, they'd like to be super uncomfortable. I'm like, well, why? That's my existence every day. So yeah. why would you feel uncomfortable? And yeah. it's trying to get them to understand, to be reflexive, because in this journey of anti-racism, I think that's the only thing we haven't done. I've tried to assimilate. Mm. My family tried to assimilate. We've done everything we can to be part of this. We didn't come here explicitly to conquer you, so there was no colonisation, there was no imperial mindset. But yet, I'm still viewed as someone who's as the, as the aggressor. Yeah. And this is problematic. So the idea now is to try to draw out this, to reconfigure whiteness in a way that it makes 
makes these people look silly yeah. almost. Yeah, even even like the you know you, you referred to a, an article that, that I wrote for the fanzine on a, on the Salomon Rondon song, and it's like these people sing this. This is a racist song. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but the thing is, it, the, the people singing it aren't going to perceive it as racist. They they're singing a song about basically um, you know a, a part of uh, Salomon Rondon's anatomy, right? Mm. And if we actually deconstruct that, we know where this this um, this trope comes from. We know where we, we know it comes from. It comes from it comes from the justification of slavery, you know, um, kind of um, yeah. you know like e- eugenics. That, that's yeah. that's where it all comes from, right? But to the people singing it, they're just singing about a man in a part of his body, mm. you know. But do you think but that, that's what they think? But yeah. so, so I suppose what, what the reason I would write the article mm. is what what I would, idea what I want is for somebody to pick up that reading gun. What, what I've never thought about it like that. Instead of people on, on social media, when we, when True Faith put up a tweet saying, you know, basically can't we just sing a song about how much we love them as opposed to having to tie in racial stereotypes and also, by the way, um, misogyny yeah. about the fact that the woman was killed, you know, yeah. because of this particular particular part of his body. Yeah. Um, so we, we put that out and the, the reaction that you get, you get a lot of support, obviously, but you get a lot of people come out and I'm... I hate using social media as a barometer for like you know x amount of people, mm. but you know you can only go on, on what what you see, and you know you get you get people coming and saying it's just bands, it's just That's a song. Say, and it's yeah. like no, no, it's not. not just a song. And people, white people singing this song yeah. need to sit down and look at it and go, oh hold on, actually no, it's not just a song, is it? I'd never like, because they would never have thought of it in years. To them, it's just oh well, we're singing about this. It's um, the, the classic one is well, it's a compliment. It's like just please <laughs> sit down and. Read about this, and but I think it's vitally important that um, that, that people well, that, that the conversation's open basically. But someone right, so to play devil's advocate, what they would say is like, can't you take a joke? It's no fun. It's no yeah, fun. Said like it's a, it's a bit of a joke. Yeah. And I would like to say devil's advocate. People when people say let's play devil's advocate, it makes me think, what would a dickhead say? Yeah, but that's, 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 yeah. It's, it's not it's not a dickhead. That's a normal <laughs> reaction. That's a standard reaction. Like they also they don't understand. So. Forget race in gender. Like I'm saying, like you can't say that about women. They're like, "Tell you what, are you gay?" I'm like, "No," but haven't really thought about because they they can't see. But even that in itself, like that but, is exactly, like but so that is to be a dickhead. Yeah, but no, but to them, <laughs> to them that, that's they're not they're not approaching it in any kind of malice. Yeah, that's but... their thought process, and so it's trying to get them to think. Well, listen, st- wait, stop, because I used to get offended. Mm. But how can I get offended with someone if they don't know any better? It's like talking to a child. If they don't know better, they need to be taught, right? But, like, I feel like that kind of takes responsibility away from no, the white person. It's not taking responsibility, mm-hmm. but some people, if you don't know any better, right, if you're just brought up in that and you just think the words that come out of your mouth, you haven't really thought about it, you're the same what's repeated to you, so that's normal to you. Mm-hmm. So one day I'm saying to you, well, well, why? Like, one day, in a side note, I said to my friend, do some research. Came back the next day, I've done it. I'm like, how? He didn't know what research was. He had no, had no concept of what the word research or what it meant. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're. I think I see what you're saying, and I think you're speaking to a particular demographic of people. Do I think everyday white middle class people can have a think about whether they whether they should reflect on what their racist chant is referring to? Yes. Of course they Do I think it's up to their, us to educate them on it? No. I uh, so uh, now within so let's let's just see fans singing this particular song, right? Mm. Within that group of fans singing it, let's say there are two hundred singing it, right? Mm. There's going to be some of them in there. No doubt, who like you see are just total, total dickheads. Mm. They just, you know, they 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 got hatred and they've got and, and they know that they actually know that what they're doing is wrong, but they don't care, right? Mm. But within that group as well, you're gonna have people who are just singing it, and who aren't actually seeing. They're not seeing this as being like you know misogynistic and racist. They're not seeing it because it, it's not like kind of. It's not to them. To them, it's not like overt. Like you know, they're not actually. To them, it doesn't feel like that. 
they're, they're, they're discriminating against someone. They're just singing a song that, you know, the words don't sound that offensive to them. Mm. And these people, like, that, that, that is genuinely how they're thinking. So if, if you can start speaking to this particular group of people singing a song and say, look, actually... Have yeah. you thought about it from this point of view? Mm. Their mindset will change, but some of the group, some people in the group singing songs are just going to be dickheads, and, and, and unfortunately, yeah. it, to get them to change I, is a totally I, different mm. task. But I think you know, when you're younger and you learn the song when you're younger, and then you go, "Oh, you're thinking, fuck, is that what the song's about? Mm. It's about having sex or something." But you don't understand, like, so you're like golden brown or white lines. When you listen to it, you think, "Oh shit, he was talking about cocaine all that mm. long." But when you're younger, you thought it was just a song. Mm. But your mum was like, "You can't sing that song." But as a kid, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to sing it." Mm. But as you got older, I think, "Oh, well, that's I'll what tell it's you, about. Uh, an incident from from um, Sunday, Leicester, right? Newcastle got a player called Christian Atsu, he's a Ghanaian national, Ghanaian international, right? And Atsu, right? You, you tell me, right? When Atsu has a bad game, right, what do you think he is labelled as? Lazy. There, there Lazy. he is, Lazy. there he is, right? So, so Atsu, right, automatically, right, on, on a subconscious or conscious level, a player like Atsu, a player like Modiomi, I would for a couple of seasons, right? If they have a bad game, it's because they're lazy, right? Lazy. So there was a kid behind me. He must have been, I'd say, five or six years old with his dad, right? Atsu's having a terrible game. He's doing nothing, isn't he? He's not saying that, you know. That's his dad saying that. Mm. So that kid, at that precise moment in time, doesn't know that what he's saying is actually loaded with so many tropes. Mm. So as Tisu says, as he gets all like, what you'd like to think is, his exposure to other people from around the world in his life, Mm. he'll turn around to his dad and say, actually, dad, what you're saying, do you know what it means? actually know what it means but how, but how many times is, is that what happens I, 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 oh no yeah. absolutely Listen, the thing is like I said the people we know the people I know we know a lot of, a lot of white people that, are, that get it that yeah, understand yeah, yeah, it yeah, so yeah. The, the people that are, the people that are get it so we, have, we can't homogenise whiteness right no so what we need to do is, is kind of understand and interrogate whiteness right so the dominant theme in whiteness at the moment is the far right and the reassertion of old racism right mm-hmm. to the point where it's no longer just it's to the point where it shifted it over to windows so mainstream politics are openly calling mm-hmm. far-right politics. Yep. We need to shift it and make, and make sure that they understand that people that understand that they get this, that this is not the dominant trend of whiteness. Whiteness is not, hasn't been the same throughout history. It's changed and reconfigured itself. There's always been times of working class, white working class solidarity with black people. And this has been historically known. Yep. So there's always been alliances. People like myself and you're like, who grew up with white people, these are my friends. People I grew up with, we went out with, we did silly things together. So they know me, they know me, what well, I know them, what well, they say, so they understand. So there are people out there that do understand. Well, interestingly enough, um, uh, Les Back, I think, said that in the, maybe the 70s, early 80s, that a lot of the far-right um, groups who tried to recruit football fans were actually booted out from football by hooligans. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's not even, you can't even... You, you, to even turn on and see, like, I would, you know, football hooligans, racist, so, that connection straight yeah, there. It's yeah. not necessarily the case. Now, now however, the, the rise of the, the rise. I'm saying the rise, and you know what? Like, I, I tell you what I'm fed up with as well, is people saying, oh, it's hardly any, it'll give, it'll give football a bad name if we keep talking about it. It doesn't matter how many it is, it's there, and mm. it's wrong, it needs to be spoken about. So uh, these groups that are coming through now in football, the Democratic Football Lads Alliance, for example, mm. like, these are coming from, like, uh, a place of hate, whereas I would say some hooligans in the 70s and 80s well, literally just groups of lads who, who like to have yeah, a look because, yeah. you know, the 70s, towards the end of the 70s and the early 80s, what was what was going on? Yeah. Neoliberalism started happening in the mid-70s. Thatcherism, deindustrialization. So this is just a lot of anger. Now, obviously, there were, there were re- huge racist elements among, among hooligans <laughs> at that, at, during that period. But as I say, there were groups who would kick, actively kick racists out. However, now, 
now with groups like the DFLA, as I say, these groups in Europe, these are these are far right and racist in in the one hundred percent in that sense. There's no mm. there's no kind of if you come to our club and you try and we're going to kick you out. I mean, these people are these people are corny. You look at look at the look at what the DFLA DFLA are saying in their um. Norman, do you want to read us because you sent us on a really great document of things that you want to sort of talk about in this episode? And perhaps it'd be good if you mentioned just some of the more recent news stories yep. that are sort of like post-Brexit era, post-Brexit Europe era, fo- yeah. football hooliganism slash far-right racism. Yeah, well, well, first of all, I'll start with um, a statistic um, from Kick It Out that I think they released maybe about a month and a half ago. In, in that magazine there, there's an article on it. Um, and we we did a podcast with... Um, we see, we see Sam Kofa, who's the education officer, former professional footballer, kick it out. Um, I think you were listening to Chantel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, brilliant. It, it, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And, and if, like, maybe... Put a link to it in. Yes, in, no, in definitely this, we'll um, put a link to it's it. It's worth listening to. And, and, and basically, they've said that over the last, over 2018 43% rise in reports of um, racist abuse in, uh, in sorry, in, in hate, um, crime, you know, hate, like, what, what would you call them? Um, well, hate crimes. Hate crimes, crimes yeah, they are, because yeah, they are, yeah, yeah, they are even, yeah. it's, it's speech, but it's still a crime, yeah. it isn't hate crime, let's, let's say that. Vocal um, abuse, yeah. Vocal yeah, abuse, yeah. 43% um, rise. That hasn't just happened overnight. That is, Something that is has been building, and look, I don't want to I don't want to go on about Brexit too much, but ultimately, you know, that this it's it's it, it opened the door to these, you know, to people coming up here and, and saying, mm. go back to your own country, and of course that's that's filled that down to football, of mm. course it has. Kick it out, even said I can I can quote from him um, directly. Roshi Muds, here we are. We're seeing a lot of reports of go back to where you came from, which we haven't seen for a while, which seems to be in the back of Brexit. If it's there, we'll see it in football. That's. Russian Wood, the chief executive, I'd kick it out. And then you just have to look around Europe. This is this year. Chemnitzer FC in Germany, third division side, captain of the club. Daniel Fran, sacked from the club after openly displaying his sympathy for neo-Nazi groups among the club supporters. He'd already been fined by the club in March, and then he just went out and you know showed, showed his love for them again. The club, fantastic as far as I'm concerned. They sacked him. There's a, there's a wider issue, you know, not just sacking him, but maybe saying, actually... We'll renew your contract, but you need to do this. We need to put you through a rigorous, extensive um, training course, let's say, yeah. um, such as, as kick it out off on this country. Um, the club itself said it was duty-bound to be a bulwark against right-wing extremism. But when you've got a football club that's got a group of fans who have named themselves Hoonara, hooligans, Nazis, racists, like that, that's a prop. That, that, that is, to me, that is, that is a problem. Um, Schalke, the chairman of Schalke, a Premier Division side in, in Germany, Told a conference recently that instead of increasing taxes to protect the environment, the government should build power stations in Africa, saying then the Africans would stop cutting down trees and produce babies when it's dark. I mean, I, I don't even know what that means for a start, but you know, it, it, so, so this is said. Shalgar's five member honorary committee cleared the, cleared the chairman of accusations of racism. I mean, it's just there's the sentence. How the fuck can you clear somebody of that when the sentence is there? I mean, it, it's, it's clear, but they did that. Um, Design newspaper wrote that the decision to. So, so this is good. This is, this is a German national newspaper coming out and saying. Um, basically, the fact we suspend him for three months, it, it's a whitewash. It's a complete whitewash. And then Kevin Prince Boateng obviously come out and said, um, when it said that it was just a slip-up, I just don't know how that can be a slip-up. His three-month break, who does that help? No one. That set a better example. Yes, it did. Um, England, we all know about Raheem Stilman, mentioned it. Um, you know, the right-wing press detest him because he's... You know, he's, he's there... Black and successful. Uh, black and successful. And he, and he, and he never... He never for members, certain members of the press, he'll never be English because he was born in Jamaica and also he's black. Like, you know, that, that's, that, that, is, that is what it is. Um, the August um, police opening inquiry into racist messages sent to Derby County's Dwayne Holmes. 
by someone clearly in that Forest fan. Yeah. Um, Fulham defender say it was Christie's sister, um, hit and racially abused by a Fulham fan during that championship match at Barnsley. Fulham vowed to uh, take the strongest possible action. What's that? Um, South End striker Theo Robinson targeted racist abuse from a fan sitting near his family and friends at Coventry. Um, kicking out recently said James McLean of Stoke and Barnsley's Bamboo Diaby was subjected to abuse. Bamboo Diaby, interestingly enough, guess what the song's about? And fair play, to, fair play to Barnsley. Barnsley have come out and they have unequivocally condemned it, which is that's an example of what a football club should be doing. But what does unequivocally else. condemning mean? Um, they've said, uh, well, yeah, all right, fair, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Like, I is that just kind of come back to that discourse um, or is it, it action? It's um, the club released an official statement saying the club is Leesmith kicking out. The Leesmith kicking out. That's for that's me. That's quite, a start. That's quite big. Yeah, yeah it's a start. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. In terms of foot, I know. Yeah. In terms of football world, guys, yeah. listeners, if you're not in the football world, that is actually quite a big deal yeah. because they to people the football. In, FA tend to turn their nose up to Absolutely. kick it out. This is the club. The club chairman's gone. We need to sort this out. Yeah. Um, oh, just to say as well, kick it out is the anti-racist yeah. organisation that yeah. um, in football. In yeah, I'll just yeah. make a point about kick it out as well. Um, if you want a, a kind of um, barometer of how seriously the FA actually take um, racism in the sport, um, I think they've at the moment of 100, 109, I think I'm maybe a little bit off the um, reports received last year. They've investigated um, less than a quarter. So there you go. Um, and also. Kick it out receives from the Premier League six hundred and fifty grand. It paid off its um, chief executive for five million last year. So make of that what you will. Um, the sorry, go back. Uh, Barnsley, yeah, shocking. Um, go back to that Barnsley point. Barnsley yeah. uh, released an official statement as I said. The club is liaised with Kick it out regarding Yongo and chant, which contains stereotypical language that can be viewed as derogatory and offensive. Once again, we would like this chant to stop. I think that's a positive step by a football club. And by positive step, I mean look. The, the, they've acknowledged it and they're doing something about it and this mm. this is this is this is what this is what's required we can't just mm. ignore it and sweep it in the cob and say oh it's only 20 people I don't care if it's 20 people and 50,000 mm. if it's 20 people take action now like now you've got to take action for me for me your strategy is probably the best strategy and the only strategy that works right so you're one of them right so you have to put it in terms of far right the far right lens so I'm saying this and it's anti-establishment stuff so when they crack down on me I expect the powers that be, the elite, to crack down on me. So that fits into the narrative of mm. the far right. Mm. We're being oppressed okay. by those people. Mm. So I'm speaking the truth, and they don't want me to speak the mm. truth. What's happened is, with Boris Johnson and Trump, people could keep calling them fascists. They're not fascists, because fascists will seek to replace the democratic system. Mm-hmm. They've managed to maintain, lower the tone, to the lowest common denominator within a democratic framework. So therefore, these people will say, Trump's as close as we're going to get. This is good enough for them. You've lowered the tone enough so I can speak freely and counter with any kind of authority that comes in says that's part of the narrative they are trying to press me. These elites that Johnson, even though they're part of, that are trying to sweep apart, they're trying to hold me back. And they're part of that multicultural, liberal elite that don't want me to speak the truth. And, and you just see how easily the FA could be turned into that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never looked at it like 100%. that, and that's absolutely so the, only, the only strategy that works is your strategy because you're the same as them. I, like, I love football. You love football. We like the same clothes. There's a commonality between us. The difference being, I've I thought about a bit more what I'm singing, what I'm saying. And and those people who are in the middle of that spectrum, they're more likely to listen. Obviously, there's always going to be people in the extremes that never listen, but the ones in the middle, that strategy, your fans, in speaking to people, real people, about your experiences, your friends, and saying, look, my, my friends, man, some people in my family, you're talking about my wife, my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not on. Yeah. That's not on. Imagine someone speaking about your sister like that. Or your brother, it's not on, and that's the only show. Because if you come in from the top, 
it falls into the far right narrative saying they're trying to oppress us for speaking yeah. the truth. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right here. And I also think it kind of speaks to some of the critiques of that sort of way of looking at tackling racism, as in like trying to get people to understand it through lived experience or through commonalities. It often gets critiqued in, I think, the social sciences and within the academy, like that it should be always down to those people. And I know I've sort of alluded to that a little bit in the podcast, but I do I do agree with what you're saying. I'm not necessarily saying that it should be, you know, exclusively down to governing bodies, UEFA, FIFA, the FA, whatever. Yeah. It's down to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's down to every single person who... Yeah. Who, who who hears it? Who knows it exists? It, like the FA have the, the FA have a responsibility mm. to govern. Mm. They 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 are the law of the game. That's that you know they they the, that's what they're supposed to be. The, the law. Mm. But it's all it's, of course it's also down to us as well. It's mm. it's down it's down all the way. And there's I think there's a there's a an equal responsibility on every single person to to call it out. So they're the ones who can. I, has, I hate to use the word punish because I, I think you know instantly punishing. People, it's not necessarily as you as you've just said there. That's you know, well look, it's the system keeping me down. Yeah. You know, it's it's about it's about education, kicking out. For example, you know, football clubs themselves, they they've got Millwall have got um, a, di- a, a diversity scheme. So if any of their fans are found to found guilty of um, of hate yeah, speech or racism, they basically say they basically give them they say look, do do this. we're going to take your season ticket away, come with us, we're going to do this. And you know, does that actually happen? Because that for me, that's really interesting because my white family are from Medway. We've got quite a lot of Millwall fans Mm -hmm. in our family, and Millwall obviously are like my my no one in my family is a football hooligan, but like there's a lot of season, there's been a lot of season to come. Debilitated by the stereotype as well, as a club, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and in my head, like, I imagine Millwall to be like one of the hubs of. No, the, the word they did was brilliant. Um, I just get, that's so good to yeah, hear. I get, yeah, I want to get. They were fined recently. Uh, two fans in January or February, I think, of racially abusing um, an Everton player, and um, Millwall just came straight out and um, and yeah, they've got this. They've got this whole group of uh, send people on basically on on education courses now. Yeah, Millwall have got the right idea. Chelsea do a lot of good work as well. Um, and again, another club that you wouldn't expect to because obviously Chelsea. Yeah. They've got. I mean, uh, well, I had. was I was at Chelsea last year. And um, I saw a, a, a pro-union, let's say pro-union, and again, you know, take what you will from that flag. And I was shocked by that. Um, but Chelsea, again, are another club who, and um, we'll see San Kufa alludes to on the, on the podcast we did that they do a lot of, of good work as well, i.e. taking in fans who've been found guilty of, of racially abusing or of hate, of hate speech and saying to them, right, we need to sit down and we need to go through this. And, and see himself, the kick it out um, programmes that he's done, he said he's had um, people breaking breaking down in front of him. Mm-hmm. Once once they've actually once the, well, yeah once their opinions have been deconstructed and once they've been shown to what, what it is that they're doing and what they're saying is, is abhorrent, they've actually started they've started breaking down. So I I, I take there's a, there's a there's a positive in there. However, are there people that are basically just not going to change at all? Yes. What do you do with what do you do with them? Well, ban them from stadiums basically because that's that's all. Can but I guess I guess one of the things I'd like to see, and I feel like this cuts across all sport as well, more of the white players speaking 100%. out. Hundred percent. Because I just find find it really disappointing. Like to be honest, like yeah. I know. I don't want to say that it's always down to like education or whatever. I feel like they know, they're not stupid. Like they know what's happening. Of course, so and like it's like some like the way just some of the black players have just been literally like 
just harassed basically mm-hmm. like it must have an effect yeah, on their mental yeah, health and they must see that amongst their teammates <laughs> so what's happening well, it's, it's like, like Peter Beardsley that's a good oh, example oh I've, right? I've written an article on, yeah. on him I'll, I'll send it go on, go so on. Peter Beardsley so he said stuff like Something about him being a monkey. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Um, he they went to a kind of like an assault course and there was um, like a claiming for him or ropes and he said, hey, you two should be good at this. Guess two what? The the back back well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was, you know, he's, he's sat from the club immediately and um, he's, uh, but he's been suspended from football. But he grew up in the time, so he's from the 80s. He knows, right? Yeah. But he, his defence is, it's just a bit of banter. Like, like it's just like what we say in the locker rooms because he's my pal. Like, and it, obviously because... He might not see. So people say it to me, oh, "T, like, listen, you darky." Yeah. And then it's not until I've got older. I'm thinking, "What are you saying?" But when you're, there's certain times as young black men or young black people, you set, you set stuff. People say stuff to you, and you accept it, man. A hundred percent. But a hundred percent. But they don't yeah. understand that your your acceptance is not because you're okay with it. You just don't, sometimes at sometimes my age preventing me saying stuff. Right. Sometimes I was scared to say stuff. Sometimes you don't understand. And like at the moment, this happened to my little cousin. She's going to work, and people are saying stuff. But she's young; she wants to get ahead. So you keep your mouth shut, and this is what happens, man. So Peter Beardsley's coming from a time where this has been normal banter for him, mm-hmm. and no one's said the fucking thing. Yeah. And he, he also he also had players who played alongside him coming yeah. out and giving him character references, like yeah. players of colour. And you think, and that's because they, that's because their mindset was shaped by what by what was happening to yeah, them yeah, back yeah, in the yeah. day. And it's like, oh, 100%. actually, they, they they kind of they're comparing their their experiences. Um, with kind of what's going on now, and they're thinking, well, you didn't have it as bad as me, mm. so he's not that bad because it was, it, you know, it, I had it really bad. You haven't had it as bad, therefore, mm. because it's not as bad. Then you know, it doesn't really matter. It's like, no, no, mate, that's not that's not <laughs> yeah. the point here, is it? Yeah. Um, in, yeah, yeah. In, in what you're seeing about the white player coming, sorry, yeah, I, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm shouting. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, good, um, it's good, it's good. Yes, a white player needs to come out. The next time Raheem Sterling or Marcus Rashford or, or, or someone in that a black player on the England team is, is abused on Twitter, Kane or someone needs to come out and say, like, you're not an England, you're not an England fan. If, you, yeah. if you're doing this, you are not an England fan. Like somebody like Harry Kane coming out, that, that message will resonate. Can I, I read something about? I think Mark Rashford, yeah. Marcus Rashford said something which really struck the chord. Um, Rashford, very young player yeah, as well. Tw- I mean, yeah. twenty twenty. Well, look at Moise Keane earlier. Yeah, we could go on and on about like this, yeah. how, how repugnant the abuse that people have received is. But um, Marcus Rashford. To be honest, I've always said that the more we speak about it, it doesn't have much of an impact. We've tried. There's been examples everywhere where people have spoken out, and I wouldn't say they've been ignored, but nothing's really changed. That's because if all you're having is the player, the black player who's been racially abused coming out and saying it, people are going to be, oh, genuinely people will be, oh, he's he's saying it, he's going off again. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's only a few people on social media. It needs, it needs, it needs a... Big white players to come out and say this and is fucking wrong. And it's not like I'm trying to call for like any kind of white saviorism. No, but because that's not right. I'm. T- I'm. It's getting white people, as you say, T, to interrogate whiteness, mm-hmm. to interrogate what people. Right. So listen, it's all about power, isn't it? Yeah. So we need voices from the majority who have power. Because I'm a minority. Yeah. So regardless of whatever I say, I'm a minority, a marginalized group. So people always downplay what I say. Even so, look. Even if you look, uh, if you look at the different arguments I've had to justify my existence as a black person. From using logics of reason to using the Bible to justify myself, and it's been a long process, and it was still not there because mm. I'm from the minority. So I always need backing from the majority. So even in the abolition of slavery, we needed backing from the majority for these things to happen. So you need collaboration because this is what I'm trying to say: to understand whiteness needs to be interrogated and stripped out. So there's people that are willing to understand; they need to become the dominant voice. Mm. Because different points in history, they, they were the dom- not the dominant voice, but they were a, a kind of an ameliorating voice. So if you go to different places, like in, in Edinburgh, in, in Glasgow, 
very, very strong slavery towns, but there was a, 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 a strong coalition of people to ameliorate that kind of temperament. And that's what we need now. I grew up in a predominantly white area. I'd say for the first formative years of my life, 90% of my mates were white. So that would justify the, the music I liked, the places I went, that was stereotypically white. This is, this is what I'm trying to say. Right, so right now, my interest is in conviviality, that space where we can be together. Mm. We're pals, isn't it? We go out, we, we do a few things because we're pals, right? We, we like the same clothes. I met this guy in Scotland, and he, like I said, he's a football casual. The first day, I've said it before on the podcast, first day he met me, he goes, you might understand. Now, this is working for a corporate bank. He came up to me and said, I, 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 like the, I wrote the BNP, I don't like blacks, I don't like Muslims. First, first day, first day. But, but I said to him, I said, but listen, that's fair enough. But I said, me and you probably got more in common. And in the end, we became best friends. We liked the same clothes. And it turns out, when I got back into his, his older brother was in combat 18, so his brother was deep into that thing. He, he just liked fighting. Please tell me I'm here today radicalised. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a cool dude, man. He's, just, he's grown up. And like I said, a lot of his stuff, these are young guys sometimes. A lot of it's just growing up. But, but what do we do when we've got that sort of language about uh, that sort of racist language mm. that your friend in Scotland used being used? Well, listen, um, throughout see, see what you did all... the other day. See what you did the other day. What? And like I said to you before, like if I hear that stuff, I'm not having it. I'll talk to you about yeah. it mm. anywhere, mm. anywhere. And it's not an argument, uh, yeah. but it's about saying to someone, listen. What are you saying? And it could be about any group. Yeah. Be it transgender, be it women, be it about prison, be it anything. Like you sort of need to yeah. people need to think wider. The lack of critical capacity in yeah. 2019 is shocking. It is yeah. really shocking. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, like so you you said white seriousness there and, yeah. and, and you know I can I, I completely see that yeah. but I, to tie into what T's saying there, mm-hmm. um if I'm in a football team, if you're a white football fan in a football team and you get the person that rolled down from you next year using that kind of language, even if it's one split second, one word ban, I think that you've got a responsibility to turn on and say something, and I think that'll have an, an impact. As And, and if he applied to a bigger scale, I think Harry Kane, for example, or a, you know one of the white English footballers in the squad coming out and saying something, it's about, it's about impact. I don't think that's a white saviour complex in that yeah. sense. I think it's just an impact. Like if, yeah. if Harry Kane coming out and saying something is going to make more people listen... Then for me, I think that's that's a po- that's a positive. Yeah. If more people can engage because it's Harry Kane, if it's a white player, then you know th- th- I think that I would say there is a there is a positive in that. But then we've got something that's really sinister that we're seeing within the media, the various news outlets, even yeah, football punditry, is that sometimes if. Um, a white person that is, yeah, famous, give example, Gary Lineker or mm. whatever, that comes out with, in quotation, quote unquote, liberal speech mm. or effectively trying to speak mm. in a way that's anti racist, they then get sort of targeted. No, there Not, is a, know, no, do you know what I mean? So Robert D'Angelo says in a book, White Virginity, there is a cost. There is a social cost for white people to stand up against. Yeah, you can take it. You lose. You lose some kind of standing, right? Yeah, you definitely will. But it's but what I'm finding really interesting now is seeing how sort of people and it, this is it's 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 pretty multiracial, multi-ethnic actually. Like the people that are on the right wing, not necessarily the far right, and how they critique white people that speak up against racism as well. I find quite interesting. It's quite quite interesting at the moment because it's like you're part of the liberal elite that you don't be out of touch. Yeah, yeah. Touch with the people's voices, and this is the whole the whole shift in the Overton window that the people versus the power, right? Yeah. And the power are elite and corrupt, and they want to spoil society by bringing multiracialism, multiculturalism. Yeah. And they're seeing it as a downfall because I've I've lost my space 
as a white person be that. So that thing you sent me from the Brexit MP about she was in Tower Hamlets and she said it's Pakistani. What annoyed me the most about that? She got it wrong. It's Bangladeshi. They're not Pakistani. Yeah. Ridiculous. But um, <laughs> if you're going to be racist, get it right, right? Yeah. Um, the main thing for me at the moment is people like Boris Johnson and his cabinet, people like Trump, we've allowed them to lower the tone to such an extent and they're operating within a legal framework. They're operating even Democrats. So they're not breaking the rules, but they're setting the tone so low mm. that it's allowed the far right and to normalise those, those, normalise those kind of tropes, be it about Muslims, mm-hmm. be it about women, be it, about, like I said, any marginalised group. And it's all to do reinforce the idea of a sense of, like, certain white people feel embattled. They feel, I'm not even going to use that narrative, but, but they feel, they feel the, the perception of fear. And that perception of fear, it, it can lose a hysterical thing, because fear doesn't have to be real. It can be perceived, man. Do you know what it? Do you know what what we've been talking about reminds me of, and it does link to Brexit, football, and Boris and Trump. I don't know if you guys saw a clip, but it was from Daily Politics, right? And um, they were talking about Brexit, and there was some guy, I think maybe from Breitbart or another mm. one of those um, news right wing news outlets, far right. What so are they far right? Oh, what are they? Uh, they're far right. Just oh, far right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and he was like, and he basically said. If Brexit doesn't happen, the people should riot. They incited violence. And it's like, who is he? He knows what he's doing when he's saying that. Who is he getting people to imagine that is? Mm-hmm. How is he sort of taking that language? The whole thing is about, at, if you're on the far right, the narrative is they want a race war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. war is a race war. That's what I mean. When he said that, I was like, oh, God. Well, like, yeah. That feels like synonymous with whiteness to me. Like, do you know, well, like yeah, a, well, a this... threat to... You made you made enjoy this then. Um, <laughs> this is a, so this is the Democratic Football Lads Alliance. Democratic Football Lads Alliance. Um, right. So let, let's see what what they what they say. Um, where is it? This uh, where is it? The DFL sees its goal is to combat terrorism and extremism um, and to bring to justice anyone who believes that they are above the laws of this land and the values and traditions of our country. Like uh, the values and traditions of our country. Like, what what do, what do they mean by that? You know, like, what, 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 what do they mean by that? How do you bring people yeah. to justice? Yeah, but exactly, what, what's the evasion of, of justice? And, you know, like, basically, they're acknowledging the fact that they're prejudiced against anyone who doesn't conform to their vision of what their country's values and traditions are. That's a thing you old threat at Sharia law, and the idea they feel that, of course it is. that it's not, there's alien cultures taking over the British cultural and legal system. But what it's trying to understand and what upsets me the most, most white people don't know about their history. So when I talk to them about Magna Carta, I talk to them about the Glorious Revolution, and I'll say to someone, when's the last time you were invaded? And they'll be like, oh, I said, no, 1688 was the last time you were invaded by the Dutch. They view it as a conquer, mm. but you view, you view it as some kind of revolution. No, you have to understand your own history. And it upsets me that this, for me, what makes me proud of being English and British is that I, it's a powerful history to be proud of, but they don't know it. And that's the shame. You sold yourself out and blamed. You sold yourself out for Brig Brother and Love Island. To Tiso, whoa! And you're blaming me. And whoa, you're, blam- you're blaming whoa. me and my people for selling you out. And this is and this is it's a serious point because you're you've let your culture slip away for what? What is for our what? culture there? No, that that, that would be my question. Like, uh, so listen, for, there's, it's a culture. Culture is about there's a big bad historical mouth in Love Islands. There's a big historical. <laughs> it is atrocious. <laughs> it's horrendous. Very sociological, guys. <laughs> but look, look at <laughs> British history has got a lot to be 
they look to analyze, not just be proud of it. Something is fucked up as also like any history has, right? But it's always has stuff to analyze. So, but you, I, you don't I've know never your heard history. you say you, you're proud to be British. Yeah, I am. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. See, I'm, I'm, i for me, the I suppose it, it's the, the the concept of of pride. I'm I'm not proud of being British. I'm not proud of being a Geordie. I just am British. I just am a Geordie. That that's that's what it is. And and I can't. I haven't. I suppose. I haven't had to face any real kind of adversity that that is that has driven me like having a sense of pride for what I may have accomplished. You know what I mean? I'm just, I, I, you know, I when people say like, I suppose when, you know, when people say like, um, I'm a proud dad. It's like, well, you're just a dad. You, you know, proud in, in the sense that what? And and, and I, I find that the whole concept of pride again. That's a another really kind of grey area. And when it, I say it, pride, I'm not pride in the way that like in that kind of offence. So when I look at this, like when I look at any history. I look at it and I think that's an amazing stuff. That's something you've done so It's really stuff. interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes you think that these people, there's been a process here. Mm. So when I'm talking to people about the current movements in politics, and I'm saying what you're seeing here is the playing out, the separation of powers, this, te- this, t- this took a long time to happen. Mm. And this guy, so what you're seeing is true theory, true things that Britain should be proud of. The idea of the judiciary being, being independent, parliament being truly sovereign. These are powerful things that had to develop over time. But you don't know your history, so you come out and you just say it's the will of the people. It's never been that way. But you don't know your history. And that's embarrassing, man. Of any country, it's embarrassing if you don't know where you're from. That's a good place to end, I think. Um, Fuck you. Also, 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 if you, if you, um, I'm pretty sure, I need to check this, but I feel like um, me, Saskia and Tiso on record two years ago saying that Brexit would all fall apart because of the separation of powers. You heard it here first. That was a really great episode. We're going to have to wrap up. Can't believe it's been an hour already. Thank you so much, Norman. And thank you, True Faith. Yeah, although I will go on record just to say that <laughs> my opinions um, aren't necessarily reflective of True Faith as an organisation. I work with them, but I don't represent them, if you see what I mean. Brilliant. Of course, of course. And we'll put that in the episode guide as well. Thank you so much, listeners. Um, we'll have another episode. Um, that's for our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. Um, if you are or have the means to support us, please do. All the money goes back into producing and getting guests on the podcast. We've got a really great season seven up ahead. We've got about 14 episodes. Thanks, guys. See you soon. See ya. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. Please like, rate and subscribe. You can also find more of us on Twitter and Instagram.